Thanks. Thanks, Micah, for leading that time. And um, it's an incredible video, and it it, uh, it helps us to see how you know we talk about being driven to reach people. It gives us a visual picture of what that uh, how that's happening as a church corporately, but then personally, we just encourage you to take next steps to be driven to reach people as well. Uh, before we get started, I want to share with you some family news over the past few weeks, and uh, because the the mourning and grieving process of losing a loved one is not happen in a week's time, it doesn't like you don't um, work through that in a week's time. So I just want to share with you some. Some of you are already aware of these kind of things, but just to be praying and to be loving on these families. Uh, Leslie Friedrich lost her uh, father a few weeks ago. Um, Robin Honig lost, lost her stepfather, and then then this past week. Uh, Frank Moore lost his sister. And so I just I share this with you just to be praying for them, to be loving on them, and to be continuing to pray, th- pray for them as they work through the, the grieving and the mourning process, all right? Last Sunday, we began a new series called Listen. And if you, if you missed it, I encourage you to uh, get online and listen to it. It sets the stage of really where we're going over this next month. When we listen, we pay attention. We make every effort to take something in, in with our ears. We're locked in. We're focused on what someone is saying and telling us and what Jesus is telling us in his word. If you're a parent in here, you found yourself saying, listen to your children a lot, no matter their age. Listen, share that toy. Listen, you can't get up from the table until you eat your veggies. Listen, you're going to need to finish your homework before you go out and play. Listen, you're going to have to trust me that I have your best interests in mind. Listen, you're going to have to stop talking so that you can listen. Listen, we live in Illinois, and so we cheer for the NFL team located in our state. <laughs> but, now, but, but when it comes to baseball, we cheer for the team that's good year after year after year. <laughs> and just as close to our home, and I've, in a moment, I've polarized the entire body. It's, it's magic. Listen, you're going to need to be home on time. Don't be late. Listen, you're going to need to get a job. All right, we don't, do not have endless supplies of cash sitting around. This whole, whole idea of a parent calling their child to listen get, got me thinking this, this last summer. What would be the big things from God's word that we want the next generation to listen to or to get? What would be the things that we would take their little faces, their teenage faces, and say, don't, don't miss this, don't miss this, listen to this. And as you look at the book of Proverbs, the whole uh, that, that, the word listen is all over the place. Listen to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. That the wise are those who listen and the foolish are not. The foolish think they know it all and it leads to their destruction and injury. The wise, though, they listen. And as a result, they find joy in life. Those who listen, learn. The wise listen first and speak second. The foolish answer before listening. And I think I've done all of those at one point or another. I know I've had times where I thought I knew it all and so I didn't pray and seek God's counsel, let alone the wise counsel of others. I know I've refused to listen at times because I didn't want to hear that I was wrong or that I needed to change or I'd done something, I'd sinned against someone. I knew I'd, I know I've had times where I've answered before listening, which is not wise. If you're married, you understand this, all right? Where you jump to conclusions or assumptions that are just not accurate and you've had to wait Instead of just waiting to listen, ask a question to gain better understanding so that you can avoid inserting that size 13 in your mouth. Last week, I challenged us to take this next month, or if really, if it takes the entire summer to do this, but to think and pray and discuss through what would be the values or rules that, we would, that we're trying to communicate to our children 
or, or to that next generation? What are the things from God's Word that we keep coming back to because we see them as vital to pass on to? Um, I shared with you ours this last week. It's on this board here. Um, each week I'm going to have this up here simply as a reminder to kind of remind us of, of, of what we're trying to do in this series, not to copy our 13, our 13 values. Because actually this past week in our community group, we talked a lot about, okay, what are the values that we would, we would have in our, in our households? What, are, what would be on our boards? And there were some things shared by community group members that, oh, well, we should have had that. And well, it's been etched in stone. So, but we'll just have to weave that in because that's really good. And, and so not to copy our 13 values, but to spend time thinking, praying, searching our Bibles, talking together. If we're married, okay, what are the, what are the things I really want to convey to our children? if we have them. So what are the pieces of biblical truth that I'm already saying? What are the ones I need to start saying? What have, what have I neglected to talk about? Our children are listening, that is for sure. The question we must answer as parents is what are we speaking and talking about? What are our lives, what are our, what's, what's our way of life communicating to them? Is our sole focus to raise a genius, an athlete, a musician, an artist, or is our priority first and foremost to raise and make disciples of Jesus in our home? I'm not saying those other things are bad by any stretch. Our children play sports. We spend time working on them, or working with them on those things. We spend time on the homework and the algebra and the, and the history. And we spend time helping our daughter prepare for solos and all those things. But if those things become the priority, then we've missed the point of what the Bible calls us to do as parents. So take, for instance, sports. Here's the value we talk a lot about around our house when it comes to things like athletics. Uh, work hard and do everything for God's glory, right there toward the top, all right? So yes, work on your skills, put, on, put in the extra effort, make the most of every opportunity, but don't do it for your own glory. This is Colossians 3.23 and 1 Corinthians 10.31. Do it for God's glory. So yeah, you better bring your best. You better be a great teammate. You better be quick to listen, but you're doing it so the Lord might get the praise. And his name might be glorified through your, your words, your attitude, your relationships, your actions as an athlete. To hear your kids pray like the night before, help me to run for your glory tomorrow. Help me to play for your glory. That's encouraging as a parent to hear your children praying these kind of things. All right? See, there's a difference here. If the sport simply terminates or ends with the trophy that, that you're going after or the praise of men or the applause of the crowd, or the medal that you've won, then we're not making disciples of Jesus. In high school, I was not doing it for God's glory. I was playing athletics for this guy's glory, for, for the praise or the applause of someone else. So if, we're not, if, we're, if, we're, if, it, if it's terminating at the sport, the trophy, the, the applause of the crowd, then we're not making disciples of Jesus. We're simply making athletes. So, but we want our children, no matter what they do, whether it's sports, arts, academics, works, uh, work, we want them to see it as worship of God, as a way to glorify Him, to see the higher eternal purpose in it, past the trophy you're going after, past the medal that you may or may not achieve, past the crowd that may or may not cheer for you, but to see that ultimately you're doing it for the, for the audience of one. It's cliche, but it's true. We talked last week about a parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parents until their dependence rests solely on God. Deuteronomy 6 lays out for us what a disciple-making way of life 
looks like in the home. And it begins with us as parents first loving and obeying God. We can't expect our children to, uh, to we, we can't expect our children to love God until we do. We can't lead them to a place that we have not, we're not pursuing as well. So in the case of this month, we're trying to draw attention, to draw a big yellow highlighter to some areas of, of the book of Proverbs that we want our children to get or listen to. Now, is Proverbs the only book that we listen to as parents? Not at all, all right? But it's one of these wisdom books found in the Bible, and it speaks of God's wisdom over and over. And it honestly, is very practical, very applicable. So if you're not reading anything right now, if you're not on any sort of Bible reading plan, if it's just kind of haphazard, like throw it open and see what you find type of reading plan, all right, I would encourage you to take Proverbs, 31 chapters, next 31 days. Take a chapter a day, hear from God's wisdom, hear from God's word. You'll walk away f- with some very applicable things that range in all sorts of different topics. So I encourage you to read that. If you need a Bible, grab a free one at Guest Connections and, and begin to dig in today. Now, I realize not everyone in here is a parent, but all of us have influence in another person's life. Whether we realize it or not, all of us have people who are watching, following, listening to us. And all these things from Proverbs are not just biblical truth that others need to listen to, but really what we need to absorb and apply and receive into our own life. Again, the greatest commandment that God calls us to is not help others love me. Yes, we're called to do that. But first and foremost, we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I pray that each of us, including me, would have listening ears this month. I know specifically the subject matter that we're going to talk about today is one that I needed to be challenged and encouraged in this week. And here's a huge life-changing truth that we need to pass on to the next generation that follows us, one that we need to listen to as well, and it's this. Listen, fear God, but don't fear man. Let's talk fear God first. This command, this phrase is referenced or commanded over a hundred times in Scripture. It's referenced over 20 times in the book of Proverbs alone. To fear God means that we live our entire lives in reverence to, or in a sense, with our knees bowed before Him. God, you are great, you are powerful, you are strong, and so I will humbly come before, before you. I will humbly come under your loving authority because I know you created me, you love me, you saved me through the cross. And you have an eternal home that awaits me. We want our children to fear the Lord, to live their entire lives in reverence to Him, that they would live surrendered to Him, that they would grasp the purity, majesty, perfection, holiness, magnitude of our God. And yet also understand the good news that God took on flesh to dwell among us and became one of us and so that to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died and to rise again to purchase our salvation and secure our place. Our children need to know God as creator. And as creator, he defines and he determines how his creation is to live. They also need to understand God as judge, that he is the one who they're ultimately accountable to for how they live their life, and their affections of their heart. It's ultimately not you as a mom or dad. It's ultimately him as their creator and as their judge. The one day they will stand before, their, before the judge and give an account for their actions. And because of that truth and a thousand other reasons, they also need to understand who Jesus is and the good news, that the judge has taken off his robe and he has come near. And he has said, I will make a way possible. And through faith and believing in Christ, 
Our children need to know that God is not only creator and judge, but in Christ, he is also father and friend. So if you were to drill it down a bit deeper, a little, a little bit further, here are three ways we not, not only fear God, but help our children and the next generation to fear God. The first is this. To fear God means we express our complete dependency upon him. You and I are not designed to live in a self-reliant, a self-sufficient way. We are, des- we are designed to depend on and rely on our God. So salvation is a work of God. It's not of our own effort or good deeds that earn us salvation. It's simply because of his incredible and amazing grace. So we depend on his work on the cross and the resurrection and that he rose again on the third day. We, co- we completely depend on what he has already done for us. We also depend on him to be our provider and provision and resources ultimately are given to us from God. We depend on him. Every good and perfect gift is from him. So we do not depend on ourselves. We depend on him ultimately. After getting saved, we depend on God to give us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. We depend on the Holy Spirit. We also express our dependency on, on God's wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, wis- or beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So God has all the answers. He's all wise. He's, he knows everything. He understands all mysteries, sees all the answers to the complexities of life. He sees below the surface of everything. He sees what's up ahead. And therefore, we fear God by depending upon him for wisdom and guidance and clarity and discernment. He's the source of infinite wisdom. We are not, so we rely on him. So as parents, we express before our children our dependence and our trust in God. We verbally talk about this. We model this through our prayer life and our actions, such as giving financially. So when your kids are next to you or in, in a worship service or when you're talking about this at home, you're, you're modeling for them what it looks like to depend on God for everything and not just your salvation. We're going to trust you. We're not going to trust in ourselves. We're going to give generously back to God's kingdom work because God is the owner of it all. We also demonstrate our dependence upon him when we open up our Bibles and we read and we study and we make time for that. We're saying with our actions, we need God's wisdom. We need this as much as food and water for our bodies. We are depending upon him for our spiritual life. Another way we practically fear God is to pursue holiness. In 1 Peter 1.16, God God tells us to be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. I am holy. To be a Christ follower means that our lives should look differently than the world because we're following Jesus now. He's not just Savior. He's not just a part of our lives, but he's Lord. He's Lord over our lives. He died for my sin, past, present, and future, and so I'm not going to be okay with ongoing sin in my life. I'm not going to be okay with my my tongue or my eyes or my hands continuing to lead me into sin. I'm not going to be okay with this heart that It's just unloving sometimes toward that person or apathetic here or indifferent, frankly, to the things of God. I'm not going to be okay with that. I want to wage war on my, my sin because I know that Jesus has already overcome it on the cross and in the resurrection. Some of you have this habitual sin in your life right now, and you're fully aware of it. 
and it doesn't sit well with you. It causes this angst in you. And I want to encourage you, the fact that it doesn't sit well with you is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. So today, remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Remember that the power of sin, the chains of sin were broken on the cross, that you have been delivered, you have been set free from its power. Remember that the war is won in these little battles along the way, so fight the good fight. And ultimately, please understand this. The fight has already been won by, the, by your Savior. It's already been won. The enemy's head has already been crushed. So rest in his power and don't give the devil a foothold. Proverbs lays out for us a few things about holiness. It says, to fear God means I will hate evil. 8.13 and 14.16. It also says, to fear God means I will not only hate evil, but I will avoid it. 16.6. It tells us that to fear God leads to a life of integrity. 14.2. So if we expect our children to pursue a life of holiness, a life that shines Jesus then we need to set the example. We need to talk the talk, walk the walk. And when there's a disconnect, because there will be, there is, correct? When there's this disconnect between what God calls us to do and our life, and our kids see that, we need to confess to our children and talk about how God's grace is sufficient. So there's this, uh, inevitably there's going to be this disconnect. And so we need to be open and honest before our children and talk about that talk about how his grace is sufficient, how he said it is finished on the cross. We need to ask their forgiveness when we sin against them and talk about how we're pursuing a life of holiness to love him with everything we have and not just some of us, some part of us. Uh, Another way we practically fear God is to live in awe. To live in awe of God is another way of saying to fear God. Now, I don't know about you, but I overuse the word awesome. I'm one of those people, wow, that steak was awesome, wow, this weather is awesome, that play was awesome, when in reality, the only thing that is truly awesome is our God. Now, I'm not going to eliminate the word awesome, I'm not going to get hung up on semantics here, but when it comes down to it, our God is awe-inspiring, and we need to help our children live in awe of God. We need to talk about the glory, the power, the incredible greatness of our God that nothing is beyond him, that nothing is greater than he is, including us, or the challenge that's, that is before us that seems like Goliath. When the kids were younger, Heather, Heather would talk about, would often use creation as a reminder of that. Wow, look at that sunset. God is amazing. He did that. Or when you stand next to this, to the mountain, the oceans, the uh, field, incredible forests, you see the creativity of God in the clouds, you see the uh, majesty of the, of the stars that light up a dark darkness of a sky. Wow, look at what God did. So you take advantage of vacations and road trips that lead you to see God's work on display. Now, you're not worshiping creation. You're worshiping the creator. Once again, if it terminates here at at simply creation, then we're missing, then we're making an idol out of creation. We need to worship the creator behind it. All of life, not just the observation of creation, but all of life is intended to roll up to or lead us to worship him. And sometimes the longer we walk with God, the more likely we are to lose our wonder. The Israelites in the Old Old Testament were notorious for this. Over the course of time, they would forget what God had done through miracles, such as delivering them from, from slavery or parting the Red Sea or feeding them. When we lose our awe of God, then our faith in him simply becomes religious routine and obligation. So, for example, 
a church, a church service simply becomes another thing on the schedule. And we just have one more thing to go to. Have, have, our week has just been nuts. We've been going, going, going. And rather than this God-given weekly pause that we have to set aside the distractions so that we can worship Him, so we can hear from Him, and be reminded that we rest in Him. In a marriage, when loving your spouse gets reduced to obligation or routine, you know something's not right. Paul Tripp, in his book, Dangerous Calling, talks about, uh, talks about awe. He says this, artists talk of the dynamic of visual lethargy which means that the more you see something, the less you actually see it. On the drive to work the first day, you're conscious of all the sights and sounds. You notice the beautiful grove of ancient trees and that cool modern duplex on the corner, but by the 20th trip, you've quit noticing and you're, you're wishing the traffic would move faster so, so that you could get to work for Pete's sake. Something has happened in you that seems inevitable, but it's not good. You've quit seeing, and in your failure, you've quit being moved and thankful. The beauty that once attracted you is still there to see, but you don't see it. And you cannot celebrate what you fail to see. As parents, we are commanded in Deuteronomy 6 to love God first, to love Him supremely. The longer we walk with Him, the more in awe of Him we should be. We can't lose our first love. We, we can't replace Him with some cheap imitation or idol. We can't stop being moved and thankful. The beauty of the good news is just as beautiful as it was when you got saved. God's unconditional love for you is just as unconditional as it is now as it was then. You haven't earned your way into a second level of love for, uh, of his love for you through your good works. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and he's not your Lord and Savior, you need to know that even while you're running from him, even when you're trying to ignore him, he is pursuing you. And he most definitely demonstrated his love for you when he died in your place and rose again. And today is the day you, you need to receive him into your life if you need to talk about what that means with somebody, if you have questions, doubts, like, I don't know about that or I'm ready for that, you need to talk to a prayer volunteer at the stage afterwards or myself or Eric or a leader here. We must teach our children to live in awe of God. And we do that when our own hearts are in awe of God. When our children hear us talk about that, when they hear us pray that way. So I challenge you this week to read Psalm 145 to reflect on the awe of God whether you're a parent, single student, married, be reminded of the awe of God, Psalm 145. If you feel like you've lost the awe in a sense, if it's waned, ask him to remind you this week. So we communicate, fear God. Listen, fear God, but don't fear man. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Again, what does the fear of man mean? What does this look like in our lives? So let's go fishing in our hearts for a minute. Are you a people pleaser? Prone to say or do things just so that others will be pleased with you? Do you struggle with the word no? Like that's a complete sentence. You struggle with that one because you don't want to be, them to be disappointed with you. You're afraid of what they might think. Are you hesitant to confront or engage in deep conversation with someone you love because you fear rejection or conflict? When criticism comes your way, are you absolutely crushed? Does the squeaky wheel just dominate your life and your, 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 your ears? When coming to a 
decision? Do you second guess yourself basically to the point where, where you're just paralyzed because you're trying to find the answer that will please everyone? Good luck with that one, BTW. Are you easily embarrassed? Do you, do you replay in your head things you've said or done that were just dumb because you're, you're still thinking about what they thought about you or what they might have thought about you? Do you tell small white lies or exaggerate the truth just slightly so that you make yourself look better? Anything hit home? See, the fear of man is not new to us. It's not new to our culture. It's been around since the fall of man. What we fear the most controls us. What we fear the most controls us. And here's how we know this. You take a small spider and you lose your flipping mind, all right? Because that small spider is controlling you. You can be a man's man and lose your mind over a spider. Or that small mouse and you go running for high furniture as if it's a grizzly bear and going to get on its hindquarters and be six foot five and attack you. That small mouse is controlling you. And as irrational as those fears may be, they sure feel rational and justified in the moment. If we fear man, then we allow man's opinion to control us. So what they think about us is more important than what he thinks about us. And we allow them, whoever them is, to determine what we do, who we are, and how we, how we live. Instead of allowing God and his word to determine what we do, who we are, and how we live. So we can't allow man's opinions of us to override or trump God's opinion of us. We must care more about what God thinks than others. This means we care more about what he says than what others say. And we, and, and we can't, God's voice will become very, very quiet if we're not opening up our Bibles and hearing from him and hearing what he has to say. See, fear of man can make God appear very, very small and your circumstances very, very large. Fearing others can be devastating in our desire to live for Jesus. It's impossible to live fearing God and someone else at the same time. We can't serve both of those masters. And we adults get this, right? We go fishing in our, in our hearts and see that the fear of man is this easy snare or trap to fall into. That we've got our ankles or feet either in the past or currently caught in this trap. So knowing that, then we also know that it's an easy one for our children to fall, fall into. And Proverbs twenty nine twenty five reminds us to help our children avoid this. In our culture, we've given another phrase to the fear of man, and that's peer pressure. And peer pressure is not unique to children and teenagers. We don't graduate from this when we throw off the cap and gown. It just becomes more subtle. And yet, it's easily, if not more, dangerous. So here are three types of snares that we get our hearts caught in when it comes to this fear of man, whether children or adults. The first one, the fear of man can lead to the snare of remaining quiet. So when God gives us an opportunity, door comes flinging open to talk about him, to stand up for our faith, to share the good news, we shrink back and remain quiet. Or so-and-so is getting bullied or picked on at school or someone begins to gossip or your buddy starts to look at this and you, instead of shutting that down, not receiving it at all, but just shutting it down, you remain quiet because I don't, I don't want to offend them. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to cause conflict, so I'm just going to remain quiet. And the root cause of that action in us is the fear of man. 
or what others might think or will we face rejection. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus was not thoughtless and unkind. So I'm not suggesting that. Like everyone knows the truth, like you might have a truth bully in your life. I'm not talking about that. We're still called to love others supremely. And then truth, speaking the truth in love. But I'm saying, is the fear of man leading you to remain quiet when you shouldn't be? The fear of man can lead to the snare of following the crowd. Jesus compared two roads, one narrow that leads to life and one broad that leads to destruction. The fear of man can cause us to start following the crowd, which is on the wide road that leads to destruction. So instead of fleeing temptation, we fall into it because, well, we don't want to look like the odd guy or the one that gets picked on, so we justify it with the phrase of everyone else is doing it. We've told our kids before and we'll continue to tell them, if and when you find yourself in a situation that you know you should not be in, you need to call us. We will come and get you. We'd rather hear it from you than anyone else. It's our joy as parents to walk alongside you on the narrow road and to help one another. Your children need to know that their parents are a safe place to land, that when they have absolutely blown it by following the crowd, that they can find grace and truth in their mom and dad. That when they come home with a snare around their ankle and they are bloodied from the teeth, from, from the trap's teeth, that they have a mom and dad who help them recover and get loose from that trap and where the wounds get mended. We often use the two phrases around our house, be an original or be a salmon. Right? Don't be afraid to swim upstream. Don't be afraid to be weird for God's glory. Next thought here, the fear of man can also lead to the snare of standing still. By this, it can cause us to not move or go when God calls us to. So when God is saying, walk over there or show love to that person, we say, I don't know, they're, they're different than, than I am. That's not usually the circle that I run with. Or when God is saying that you need to drop that relationship, that habit, that routine, we find ourselves standing still rather than moving and changing. And we stand still because the people around us will notice that we're moving. You've got this friend that will say, what do you, you, what do you think you're doing? You think you're better than us? No, I, I just got to do this. I can't stand still anymore. I've got to follow Jesus. Or you've got the religious person that says, oh, what, what, you, you're hanging out with them? You're, you're talking to them? Well, you're supposed to separate yourselves. You're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors is how the Bible would say it. No, I just, I've got to follow Jesus here. Yeah, they're not going to influence me, but I've got to be a salt and light here. And again, we find ourselves too easily caring too much about the opinions of others rather than the opinion of our Father in heaven. When we try and find our status and acceptance in any other way besides the gospel, then that pursuit is elusive at best and destructive at its worst. The beautiful truth of the good news is that we are accepted, we are forgiven, saved through Jesus, all because of his grace. So no matter what rejection we face here on this earth, we know that in Christ we are accepted and loved unconditionally as we follow in obedience to him, knowing that who we are in Jesus sets us free to love and to serve, no matter what the crowd thinks. Listen, fear God, but don't fear man. Said another way by Counselor Ed Welch, people are small, God is big. Fear of God and fear of man can't coexist in the same heart. And yet one is the cure for the other. The antidote to the fear of man is the fear of God. As our view of God increases, then our fear of man will decrease. 
The fear of God has this spiritual power to overwhelm and overpower any other fear that may capture our hearts. We want our children to live in awe of God, but not in the awe of other people's opinions. We want them to be in awe of how God views them and their identity in Christ, but not how others might view them. It takes a continual fight for the control of our hearts, does it not? What will rule our hearts, the fear of God or the fear of man? It really comes down to this moment-by-moment decision that, and choices that we make as, as adults, and we're helping that next generation to make as well. Paul Tripp, in that same book, he says this. It sums it up well. Wise, stable, and fear-free living doesn't require you to deny what you're facing, but rather looks at whatever you're facing from the perspective of a gloriously freeing and motivating fear of the one who rules all the things that you would otherwise be afraid of. A functional awe of God really is the key to your heart not being ruled by fear. So some questions. Do you believe that pleasing God is more important than pleasing or satisfying other people? Do you believe that God is the only one to whom you will give an account to at the end of this age? Do you believe that fearing God, keeping his commandments, living to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is the most freeing life you can live? Do you believe that God is God and no one else is, including yourself? Are you and I willing to exchange our fear of, God, fear of man for the fear of God? For some of you, the fear of man or what others think of you is actually keeping you from giving your life to Christ. And all I can say is you don't know what you're missing. You don't know what it means to be set free, to be truly forgiven, to walk in freedom. So don't wait another day. Don't wait another day on that invitation. Listen, fear God, but don't fear man. Imagine, Crosspoint, a people that fear God, but don't fear man. Well, those kind of people will change the world. And how do I know that? Well, I, I look in Scripture and I see it in the book of Acts, this group of disciples, they feared God. They lived in, lived in awe of God because they had seen God rise from the dead. They did not f- fear man. So it led to this loving boldness that changed the world. A church that lives in awe of God is not daunted or, by circumstances or obstacles. A church that lives in awe of God is not worried about tomorrow. A church that lives in awe of God believes and prays for big things. A church that lives in awe of God is completely dependent upon Him and not ourselves. And such a church pursues holiness. Such a church does not remain quiet but continues to boldly share that this good news is for all the people. And such a church does not stand still but is driven to reach people and lives a life that is devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another. So adults, listen, fear God, but don't fear man. Students, fear God, but don't fear man. Parents, fear God, but don't fear man. Crosspoint, as a church, we must fear God, but not fear man. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that because we follow you, that all these horizontal fears and things that we wrestle with, that you overwhelm those. Teach us this week about your awesomeness, about your power. Remind us through your word. Remind us in what we see around us. God, for the parents here, I pray that you'd really help us to know how to build into our children an an awesomeness of you, an awe of God, a fear of God, and not allow the opinions of others to overrule that or trump who they are in Christ. I pray for the students here that, that, that may struggle with this 
tension, this fear of man, I pray for a loving boldness to grow in them. I pray that they would know that they know that they know who they are in Christ and that ultimately in the gospel they are accepted, they are loved, they are forgiven, and they are set free then to love one another and love you and to go and make disciples. God, I pray for as a church that we would live in awe of you. When we're tempted to make obstacles or, or, or circumstances greater than you, that we would repent from that, we'd turn from that and be reminded that nothing and no one in all of time and all of space has been greater, will be greater than you. We thank you for your massive, unconditional love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've got a connection card in your program. If you're our guest, we'd love for you to fill that out. Tomorrow night, we need your help. There's a, uh, an opportunity at 6 p.m. back in the family room to serve, prepare for VBS, which is a little over four weeks away, about a month away. Why come? We are dedicated to one another, so we serve together. Why come? Because we are driven to reach people. We want to prepare for this outreach happening in a month. So come and build crafts and palm trees and all these kind of different things and use your hands and feet for the glory of God. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless.